In a world filled with uncertainty, we are all trying to get physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy. But the struggle is real. The Live Well Podcast exists to give you fun, relevant, and impactful strategies that will help you get healthy, stay healthy, and live well. Hosted by Dr. Mike Roncesvalli, a clinical psychologist with two decades of experience in the field and his Live Well crew. We promise the time you spend listening to the Live Well podcast will help you thrive like you never have before. All right, and welcome to the Live Well Coaching Podcast. This is Dr. Mike Roncesvalli. We're really glad you joined us today. Um, we've got our whole Live Well Coaching team here, which is exciting. You guys going to introduce yourself? What's going to happen? Am I, am I introducing you? Is that how this is going to happen? Yeah, let's see how you do it. Oh, gosh. Well, we'll start with Alana Sadu, Alana the Great. <laughs> That's me. Alana, what's your, what are you, why are you here? What, what's, <laughs> what's happening? What's your qualification to be here? That's an excellent question, Dr. Mike. Um, my qualification, um, I would say, is that you hired me. Let's start there. <laughs> I did do um, that. Also, I am the Director of Clinical Programming here at Live Well Coaching, and I'm super excited to spend this Monday morning with you. Excited to have you here, Alana. Give us all the insight that you have about how to respond to the pandemic and stress during the pandemic. It's going to be cool. Jacob Jenkins is with us. Jacob. How's it going? What's happening? Not much. Just a beautiful day outside. Nice 30 mile power winds, you know. <laughs> it's just... Tropical storm in Florida. It's just a tropical storm in Florida. That happens yeah. all the time, right? No big deal. No big deal. Routine. Megan Torkowski. Hello. Hello. Miss Megan. I am here because I've just known you for so long and um, I think you really enjoy my company. <laughs> and seeing as I was hit hard by the pandemic, um, I think I bring a lot to the table. As far as that goes. <laughs> you bring a lot to the table, just in general. Just Megan. in my own presence. So, yes. And then virtually, we have Dr. Chuck Sarconi, our resident expert in all things mental health. Chuck, what's happening, man? That you might want to edit out, Jacob. So <laughs> appreciate that. We're keeping it. Hey, it's just great to be with you all here. I am on the... Uh, East Coast, the West Coast of Florida. Sorry, I got my directions right. So I'm here in Clearwater, Florida, and just great uh, to be hanging with you all and be part of the team. So, man, thanks. Glad to have you. Yeah. Well, guys, let's uh, let's jump into this. I think people are ready to know what they can do to try to navigate this pandemic. It's been crazy, just a crazy six or eight months. I don't know about you guys, but it's still difficult to even put my mind around what's happened to us. Yeah. Well, you're in luck because there's no end in sight. Oh, gosh. It's <laughs> what it feels like, Alana. It's yeah. yeah, what it like feels like. Added some more uncertainty in the past couple of weeks. So. Yeah. I mean, life does continue to go on. So this is just how we're going to we're gonna navigate it, it uh, together. It's getting it, – the, the cases are out of control, right? Have you guys heard this? Yeah. I think we had 1,000 cases – in in a day or a hundred thousand cases in a day, what was it? It was insane. I I didn't see that. <laughs> so, anyways, it's not going anywhere. To your point, no. Miss Sadu. So, let's talk about what we do about it. First of all, my question to you guys is, why do you think it's so hard? Like, why do you think we're we're struggling to cope with this, and why, why is it so hard to, to manage? 
Well, the pandemic, it's uh, it's a scary word. It's very intimidating. I think the word pandemic intimidates people, and it should, rightfully so. Um, but things that intimidate us, we have a tendency of trying to avoid. So um, that, along with obviously all of the very real risks of what is to come, I mean, it's it's scary. I think it brings a lot of fear in people. So it's it's essentially just you think the idea of it feels big to yeah. people. Oh yeah, it start. I think it starts with the concept that it's out there and that it's this thing that seems very pervasive and it's bigger than us. Yeah, I also think especially in like the U.S., it's just this this whole year there's just been kind of like two sides going at each other with everything. And so, like, that just added so much more uncertainty with, like, COVID and everything, just not knowing exactly who you can even trust anymore. So, like, that just made it 10 times worse as well. Absolutely. And not knowing, not having any clear, concrete understanding of what it is we're actually dealing with. There's just, there's no answers. Yeah. And there's, there there, there are answers, but are they true? (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) Can we trust them? Have they worked? Like, there's just... The amount of time that there has been to even do research or study up on this is very minimal. So we don't really know what we're dealing with, and that is scary. It's yeah, you put all that stuff together. You know, one of those things is enough for somebody to to try and deal with. But everything that people are mentioning around the table, you put all that stuff together, and man, it is really becomes complex and uncertain very, very fast. Yeah, for sure. I think those two words, Chuck, are pretty are pretty pivotal, <laughs> like complex and uncertain. Because I look back and I think about the people that I, I'm dealing with in the clinical office, and that's the issue. Like, we're so used to being able to control almost everything in our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. What do, you, what do we encounter that we can't control? Even like major, like take a, a major diagnosis, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. If you've got heart issues or diabetes or cancer, like there's all these protocols. You can go to the experts. They tell you what to do. And, you, and, I, and I know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. And the thing about this is I think it's felt so uncertain, mm-hmm. so unpredictable. People just don't know how to how to manage that. And for us in, in the Western world, we're just not used to it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And the fact that it's so wildly different amongst people is just bizarre in itself. I mean, you take a husband and a wife, for example, and you put them in a house and one person gets COVID and the other person is fine, or or you have two roommates and one person is deathly ill and the other one has is asymptomatic but also has COVID, and you're just like, how, how do I even respond to this? And what if I get somebody sick and I don't know because I have no symptoms? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you just, it, it's scary. It's so At least things. the uncertainty is consistent. Yes, <laughs> the one we can thing count on that. It's uncertain. There's anything we're sure of. Yeah, it's it sucks and it's uncertain. I think there's even uncertainty with like what's going to happen in the future with it because we don't even have any studies that show like because I've had it, Megan's had it, Chuck, your um, wife had it, and it's like we don't know what like to expect. Yeah, and we don't know what kind of damage it could have already yeah. caused that like we're kind of stuck with because right. we, we we literally know nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Paid it, can't predict it. Yeah, nothing right. Yeah. I'm, I will speak of my own personal experience right now and just say that um, I've been having heart issues, which, yes, there is a heart disease in my family, but not what I'm experiencing. 
And when I went to my doctor on last week, don't remember the day, she said that clotting, um, based on what I'm experiencing, it could be blood clots that have been formed mm. and are now being correlated to coronavirus. And I'm just like, whoa, oh, those are <laughs> something no that doesn't happen in my family, something mm -hmm. that's entirely new to me. And she said, based on your symptoms that you're describing, that could be what it is. So I have to go get blood work done to see if there are clots. So here you have a perfectly healthy young mm -hmm. woman yeah. who, you know, the world by the tail. And here you are a, f a few weeks later after COVID and you're dealing with, again, like what is all this stuff I don't know. Right. So that to me, I think that's the trigger. Is, and so what do we do with the reality that we can't control what comes next? Because mm -hmm. if we could if we could help people with that today. I think that'd be huge. I think if people could leave this podcast with some sort of strategy to say, okay, I know what I do with things that I can't control and I can apply that here to COVID, that's meaningful to people. So I'll pose that to, to you guys. What do you, what do we do with the fact that we can't control? How do you cope with that? Um, <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> Don't all speak she says once. with confidence. That's a loaded question. Um, for me, I've over the years I've I've kind of learned to take things with a grain of salt, whether it is factual or not, because we all respond differently to things. We all hear and see things and perceive things very differently. Um, I do a lot of deep breathing and and find trust in myself, and I have a support team that I can look to if if all of that fails me. So I try to go forward with my own understanding and I do research and I, I talk to doctors, multiple doctors for different modalities and just try to have a clear understanding in my mind, what I'm getting myself into and know the next steps to move forward. And I make sure that my support team knows what I'm dealing with because if I don't have them, I, I I would crumble and fall. Like I, I need to know that there's somebody behind me that can catch me if I can't keep up mm -hmm. with yeah. what's going on. So that having a support team and, and knowing, like figuring out what I can control in this situation and, and clearly understanding those things helps yeah. me. I know on that topic, the um I know for me personally, <laughs> when I started dealing with anxiety issues about two years ago, before that, I kind of always related to the control response and kind of that side of it. But then once the anxiety happened, I kind of shifted all the way to like a strict fear response where I just wanted to run away from everything mm -hmm. and like not even go against it. And I don't know if this kind of lines up, um, but just like finding a middle ground of those two, um, I think is very important during these times. Absolutely. Because fear, fear is, is good until because it sends you a signal. It lets you know that there is something going on whether mm -hmm. it's it's instinctual almost but once it consumes you you've got to have mm -hmm. you've got to have that fine balance yeah. so that you're not mm -hmm. overwhelmed with it yeah. and it doesn't um disable you from being able to do the things in your life that yeah. you should and be I know able you to talked do. about breathing exercises something that I've used that's helped me a ton which is actually learned from you if you want to expand on it is progressive relaxation is something that the more and more I practiced it it just any time like mm -hmm. the fear response gets a little too great and the anxiety comes and stress, yep. like it's just helped so much. Even getting better sleep, like it's helped a ton. So, so I, I think that's a good a good segue into something really practical mm -hmm. that we can we can give to people. 
what happens when we perceive that a situation is threatening mm-hmm. or dangerous and we can't control it and we can't predict it is our frontal lobe starts to shut down, mm-hmm. right? So the frontal lobe is uh, judgment, reasoning. Sight. Yeah, it, it's the executive control center, right, Alana? Right. It's, it's like the part of us that makes us human. There's another little part of your brain called the amygdala. As yep. the frontal lobe shuts down in response to fear, the amygdala starts to just blow up. We'll scan people's brains that they're anxious. And I mean, it's literally hijacked the brain. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking with this little squirrel brain, right? There, when, when you're when you're freaked squirrel. out. When you can always do that. You can, em- <laughs> you can empathize. Raise your hand if you can empathize. Yeah. Adrenal fatigue That'd coming on. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got this amygdala. It's blowing up. It's hijacked your brain. It's running the show. And it's you're never going to be able to be calm and think your way through it until that amygdala is calmed down. Right. So the way you calm it down is through progressive relaxation. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, where you just put one hand on your chest, one hand on your stomach. Megan, you do this better than anybody here. All day, every day. Yeah. So even with you, you're a yoga instructor, right? Mm-hmm. So how, describe what how you breathe from your diaphragm. What does that mean? So most people only breathe with, I mean, I want to say into about 35% of their body. When you're breathing, if you're not breathing into your belly, you're sometimes not activating your um, diaphragm and it's not hitting the vagus nerve in a way where it should be to calm you down. So for example, in a fear response, in a fear response, um, even if it's just getting a massage and it's signaling pain, you're in a tender spot. When you breathe in, you breathe in all the way to your belly, maybe four seconds. And you, you have your one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, as you said, you breathe in and your hand lifts. Your mm-hmm. belly is rising. You know you're breathing all the way into your lungs and all the way down into your belly. It's activating your diaphragm. It's stimulating the vagus nerve. And it's letting yourself know that you are safe. So as you exhale, you want to exhale for longer mm-hmm. so that your body, once you breathe out, that's that relief. That's letting go. That's a way to tell your body, hey, I'm safe. I'm okay. And that starts to shut the amygdala down Mm -hmm. and turn back on the frontal lobe so you can think clearly and know whether you need to run or relax. (laughs) I want to say, like, it is hard when the stress and anxiety is difficult because that's something I ran into where it's like Mm -hmm. people would tell me to, like, do your breathing exercises and do the progressive relaxation. And when I would be in, like, full-blown panic attacks, I'd start doing it and be like, oh, well, I'm about to pass out. Like, I don't want to keep doing this. And it's like you just got to keep doing it until you get past that point yeah. and show yourself you're not going to pass out. Like it's actually going to get better. Yeah. Right. And so. So I walked out into the waiting room one time. This is like a decade ago. You'll love this as a therapist, Alana. I, I walk out in the waiting room. Nobody else is in there. I'm going to grab my client. Right. And the client is literally I, freaking out in the corner of the waiting room. I have no idea what's going on. I didn't know if he's having like some sort of a, like heart attack or a panic attack or whatever. So I walk over to the client, I'm like, uh, what's, what's going on? Are you, are you okay? And the guy can't breathe and, oh my God, just, something bad's going to happen. I mean, he's clear, the more I talk, the more I knew he's having a panic attack, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do what you're describing, Jacob. I'm saying, hey, look, you've got to take deep breaths. And I'm walking him through, one hand on the chest, one hand on the stomach. And the more he does it, the more he's freaking out. He's like, no, I'm going to pass out. I'm going to pass mm-hmm. out. And I had to say, I was like, look, look at me in the eye right here. Like, look, 
you better listen to me <laughs> because if you don't, you, this is going to get bad and we're yeah. going to call 911 and you're going to go to the ER for a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessary. And I, I somehow I convinced them to just like take a breath in and like I told them to swallow. I was like, just take it in and just don't breathe out. Just hold it there for like mm-hmm. 10 seconds and then exhale all the air out of your lungs. And it took, I don't know, five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, but after that five minutes, I, it was like a different guy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. usually it's like the most difficult five minutes of someone's life. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's very, very difficult. I speak it's from personal experience. Yeah. But it, when it comes to that, I think like overcoming a panic attack or an anxiety attack, it does get a little bit worse before it gets better. For sure. Absolutely. Um, and you just hit something on the head. Like breathing for some people doesn't come easy easy. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have issues with breathing and they, they can't take those full breaths, whether it's a condition that they have, a medical condition, or um, it could even be related to trauma because mm-hmm. they're in the military, they're trained to shoot on their breath. So like, think about all the other things that happen when you tell somebody mm-hmm. to just breathe. Sometimes that's triggering for them in itself. Mm-hmm. So we also have to remember that there are other modalities to to work on with the What's it called again? I just mental the, the progressive yes. relaxation. <laughs> yes, go. that the thing that I need to do all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, real quick, real quick. That we all need to do. Uh, Chuck, do you have anything you want to input on? So, my, so I, you know, I love that that example, Mike, of, of your client, um, and what Amanda's saying. You know, breathing for some folks is just not going to work. And what what would we do, or what would somebody do if they were by themselves? There wasn't somebody like a doctor, Mike, to be able to say, "Look, focus. Look me. Look me in the eye." focus and to walk them through that. Um, so what could somebody do if they're by themselves and they're starting to feel this panic attack, the breathing thing isn't, isn't working. So I think you, for me, I'll answer that question. If you feel like the breathing isn't working, one strategy that kind of gets that adrenaline and cortisol out of your bloodstream is to get your body moving. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can't breathe, you really would be better off getting up out of your chair, get off the floor, <laughs> wherever you're yeah. at in yeah. this panic get attack. Get out of fetal position. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and start, go outside and start running. Mm-hmm. Right, literally just run a mile. Yeah. Or get on your bike, ride as fast as you, and you can't walk leisurely. You know, like I, you know, I've, I've seen some people in the, in the neighborhood and they're like, I'm working out. And it's like this leisurely walk <laughs> you know, and they've got all the cool you know, got all the cool clothes on, um, and they're not breaking a sweat. That's not going to work. You've got you've got to like exert Release yourself. Energy, but, yeah, um, and you know, I, it's interesting because when clients come in and and they're struggling with anxiety or panic, usually with every single person, I say, you know, what what is that experience like for you? Because every single person experiences anxiety in, a, in I think a very different way. Um, <laughs> But um, we're actually right by the Daytona racetrack. (laughs) If you heard that car in the background, that's what that was. Um, But even though everyone experiences anxiety in a very different way, one of the common denominators I hear is anxiety for me comes from not being able to have any control over a situation. I hear control a lot when I ask, I could ask 50 people in one week what their experience with anxiety is like their symptoms might be completely different but what i hear a lot is i don't feel like i have any control 
well, you know, Megan so eloquently described how to do like diaphragmatic breathing on your own. And I think it's a tool that everyone can take with them. But if you kind of look at what we can control, you know, we focus on the controllables. Really the first and automatic thing we can control is our breathing. Mm-hmm. So it's also a preventative strategy, I think. When you notify, when you can notice like what your anxiety indicators are, um, you know, then we can prevent a panic attack from happening through, you know, deep breathing exercises and diaphragmatic breathing exercises too. So yes, it's also an on the spot sort of, you know, if you have some help, someone can help you through it. But it's also, I think it can also be preventative. Yeah, right. for sure. I'm really glad you said that because what we do have a resource for everybody listening. And if you go to our website, livewell-coaching.com, so that's all spelled out, L-I-V-E-W-E-L-L-coaching.com, just scroll down on our homepage and there are some relaxation audio files that literally teach people how to relax your body from, from head to toe. And uh, like the core part of that audio file is the progressive relaxation and the breathing. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in this, we really would encourage you to go to the website and just download those audio files. They're free. We don't need anything from you other than your email or whatever we ask you to put in. Um, But we'd like to make that available for anybody listening to say, okay, here, here's something I can do, especially preventatively. Like before I have the next panic attack, I can practice this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can do a body scan just Mm -hmm. simply head to toe. Like you just said it, which made me think of it, just body scan, like, and just go, from the crown of your head all the way down to the tips of your toes and tighten every single muscle one by one. And you can't, I mean, you can squeeze your face together and I'm sure that looked great on camera just now. (laughs) You do that and you just keep, and then you finally release and you inhale and scrunch it all together and contract your muscles and then you exhale and you release. But your mind is focused on each individual part of your body as you're going down until when you get to your toes, you're like, oh my gosh, I... I'm calm. I can think. I'm mm-hmm. breathing. I'm safe. I'm alive. And um, I was in control of and that. And I was in process. control of that. And now you can kind of surrender to the situation that you're in in a way that is intelligent and um, where you have knowledge and a brain that works. Really, really cool research. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they've, they've scanned people's brains while they're doing this progressive relaxation. Mm-hmm. And if you will practice this once a day for 90 days, now that's a, that's a freaking long time. I understand yeah. that. But if you can do it once a day for 90 days, they scan people's brains at the end of that. You create a relaxation response in your brain that is very similar to Xanax. So they scan a Xanax brain mm-hmm. and then a progressive relaxation brain. They look very similar. Is that crazy? That's yeah. wild. That's awesome. That's I really believe cool. it. I believe it too. And honestly, so we respond to fear as we were just talking about, and you mentioned preventative measures, Alana, and think about like little situations that you might get yourself into on a daily basis that could, you know, release the stress response and you could react in a fear way, or you could use the tool that you're practicing to come out of that. And the next time something comes up, that's stressful or scary your body might initially respond to it with the relaxation method Mm -hmm. rather than Mm -hmm. the fear mode which would which is amazing Mm -hmm. 
because you've taught your body over time to do that and you've practiced it and your body now says, oh, I'm afraid of this. I know how to handle this in a calm manner. Yeah, you're literally building mm -hmm. new neural pathways. Right. Mm -hmm. which, right. For sure. Which, if anything, I think proves that w humans are completely capable of, of rewiring their brain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, you know, there's some, I think, you know, it's there's the neuroplasticity of it all that shows that, hey, if we have an automatic response to something and we want to do something about how we respond, we can change that. When I was trained, um, not that long ago. I mean, seriously, it wasn't that long ago. Maybe... <laughs> 20 years. It's so hard to say. Back in the Jurassic Yeah, back in <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you guys are so, y'all are so mean. Anyways, um, 15 or 20 years ago when I was being trained, I was taught that brain cells died, right? So that like, that was the whole idea is like, you lose a percentage of yeah. your brain cells before you, you know, as you age. And by the time you're 50, well, what we know now is that while that's probably true, you actually can build new new ones brain yep. cells. Oh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. I mean, that's a big development in neuropsychology. I don't think I have, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have. You just don't know it. You can't. We can't see our brains. So. <laughs> They're growing in there. All right. So here's what I say: we do. Let's. We've what we've established is um, we're all stressed out by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We all see this as a very difficult situation because it's it's new, it's unique, it's unpredictable, and and we and we can't control it. Um, we know that that activates adrenaline and cortisol in our body and that the only thing that can sort of take care of that amygdala-driven process in the body is progressive relaxation. And that's what kind of turns your amygdala off and your frontal lobe back on. I think the last thing we would want to leave people with is like, what do you do once your frontal lobe is turned back on? How do you start to think through the pandemic in a way that yields peace I'm, what do y'all think? I mean, Jacob, you've been there. You've been in it. Yeah, I think it's stuff we've touched on a lot. And I was actually going to bring up, um, you recently wrote an article called The uh, Coronavirus Comeback and just kind of like stuff about that. And I think that'd be a great way to kind of piece this all together, kind of leave them with like how we can come back from this and what to do after that. And um, yeah, I know there was something you mentioned about um, like resilient people mm -hmm. and like the kind of stuff that they have. And I think it was internal locus of control. It was like the words you've used and there was a lot of things we touched on and um for me like it's easy to say just focus on what you can con control and like don't focus on what you can't but i'm um, just kind of touching on like how we can practice that and actually do it is like a different thing mm -hmm. and i think that's something that you'd probably be able to explain better than i could because it's just like i just kind of do it but <laughs> <laughs> you know how we do it so, so I, I had a friend that had a dog and the dog's name was sugar and yeah, it's cute. It's <laughs> really cute. <laughs> and so Sugar, when when they got his little bitty puppy, and and when they wanted to control Sugar, they would put a leash around Sugar's neck, and they would they would slip the the end of the leash under like a chair, just like this little wooden chair. And little Sugar was so small. I mean, he'd run and run, and then that leash would catch him. And the, oh, no. <laughs> I don't like this story. Oh, <laughs> no, it's, it's cute. They were it was, it was fine. It was, okay. They were very ethical in their treatment of sugar. Okay. But sugar couldn't go anywhere because he couldn't pull the chair, right? right? Well, sugar learned that he was out of control of that situation. And sugar learned that there was nothing he could really do when that leash was put on uh, around his neck and, and put under the chair. Mm -hmm. What it, sugar didn't realize is that as he grew – and gained, you know, 
300% of his body weight. <laughs> and he, he now wait, move the chair. he could move the chair anywhere around the house that he wanted but to. But he never yeah. knew that. Never did. And we call that learned helplessness. That's right. <laughs> and, and that's that learned helplessness. My favorite word. <laughs> Words. It's that's like an external locus of control, mm-hmm. right? Like my life is driven by things outside of me. Mm-hmm. I can't move this chair, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people are with the pandemic is that I can't, there's so much I can't control. This is happening to me. And Jacob, to your point, like the, the people that are thriving through the pandemic are the ones that are trusting. I, there's a lot I can't control, mm-hmm. but I'm going to focus on the things that I actually can't. What can I control? Mm-hmm. I can control my next healthy response. Correct. I can make sure that I'm getting out and exercising. I can make sure that I'm reaching out to my support group. Mm-hmm. I can make sure that I'm, I'm doing the healthy things. And as I do that, I can trust the process and I can let the outcomes be what they're going to be. For right. sure. For sure. And that's, I, I fall to the word surrender. It's a way of surrendering, but I, I'm, I'm more of a user of embrace because I feel like if you surrender, you you could be giving up. That's just my semantics issues in my head. But um, for me, it's embracing it, embracing it for what it is. There's going to be so much that we learn from this and so many tools and so many different connections and a layer of patience that I don't think I've ever had myself. <laughs> just I just think the growth that can come out of this time period in our lives is amazing. So not really surrendering to it, but using the control, what you can control and can't, and then and just embracing the the situation for all the positive that it, that's going to come from it, yeah. hopefully. I, yeah, I do think that's like one of the most important things to kind of take out of this that you can use for the rest of your life, not even just from the pandemic. It's bad things are going to happen. You're going right. to go through stuff like it's going to happen to everybody, mm-hmm. but it's like how you go about learning from it and not seeing it as like the victim. But right. Like, I know in your article, you talk about being the champion of it Mm -hmm. instead of like Mm -hmm. seeing yourself as a victim and just how you can grow from it. Kind of seeing that as like, I think that's something that will end up being a positive for a lot of people's lives coming out of this time. I mean, we've had to change so many ways that we operate. So yeah, definitely this is going to be a game changer, Mm -hmm. I think, for the human population. What's one thing you've learned through the pandemic? What's one thing you've learned or one thing you've tried that you hadn't tried before? Where do I begin? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I don't know if that's healthy. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about healthy coping skills here, not maladaptive coping skills, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm thinking about the number of days that I laid in bed. And like, I'm trying to word it in a way that is healthy. I laid in bed for an absurd amount of days. This is when you had COVID? When I had coronavirus. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I was, and and this is something I learned. So normally when I'm sick, I kind of push myself and I, I just, I, I get better and I push myself to go forward, even though I'm not fully well and I still have a little bit of the whatever going on, if it's a cough and I I push myself to go back to work and I push myself to do these things. This time I learned that I can't do that. There's still stuff that I don't know that's happening inside of my body. And the only thing that I can do is be patient with myself Mm -hmm. and walk in the understanding that this is just something that happened and I'm going to have to be okay with the result of it because it's already done. Like I can't go backwards. So, Megan, that's really good though, because what 
what you're doing is your your frontal lobe's turned on now, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're you're not in that fear threat mode, and you're just letting yourself yield mm-hmm. to what you can't control. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you're living in this moment wholeheartedly. Yeah, you know, that there's a bunch of research on wholehearted living that I think is is appropriate to the pandemic. Like the idea that we can fully embrace moments and live in moments, and there's value to like that right here, right now. And who knows, you know, whether there's an issue we've got to confront next week or next month or in, and who knows who's going to get COVID and who knows what, what effect that's going to have on whose job. But we have today. Yeah. Right. And, and there's value to that. And, and to me, culturally, if we could learn that, that that's the silver lining in all of this. That's the beauty that comes out of the ashes. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being present. I think for me, like one big thing that I learned is just, um, when I had COVID, I, isolated i went and lived in my family's camper for like a whole 10 days and it just made me realize like how important it is especially for like my mental health just to be around people that like love me and care for me like how much that actually like influences my life without mm-hmm. even realizing so that was something i kind of came away with that would be a positive actually having it and stuff like that so absolutely you get isolated when you have covid and you learn how to reach out mm-hmm. yeah Jeez. chuck alana what do you guys think yeah, I think that's part of it for us too. What, what both Amanda and Jacob said, kind of combining that, it's you know always try to have fun with whatever's whatever's in front of us. Um, it's hard to have fun sometimes with stuff like this, but uh, I think when we kind of back off, or when I backed off a bit, um, and uh, kind of gave some grace and some permission to do some things differently, because it's you know the the difference is the how, you know the what is is the same. We want human interaction. We want to connect with others. We want to go out and do stuff. We want to be busy. We want to be productive. We want to contribute. The what is the same. What's changed is the how. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, so you know, still around the corner with that, but trying to have fun with the differences in the how. I love that. Me too. Yeah. And um, I think for me, I I have learned how to do media detoxes and uh, we can talk more about that in our next podcast but um, (laughs) but really you know in the midst of the pandemic a lot of us are stuck at home and we're stuck with news and we're stuck with media and social media and that's all we have that's the information we have coming in and um a lot of studies show that we that's a good way to have like information overload and can really cause a lot of, you know, mental distress and emotional distress. So I learned how to, you know, have certain uh, couple hours per day um, of just detoxing from all sources of media. Um, and it's created, I think, a, a different layer of calm. Um, in just my own personal mental health. And I've kind of tried to share that with, you know, people around me. Um, so that's, that's one thing I've learned. So I, I have a little, I always have all these stories. Um, just forgive me, indulge me. Um, turning it over to anecdote, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that can be my new, that's my new code new name. name. That's yeah. Your name anecdote <laughs> Mike. So we were, we were kind of, mid lockdown you guys remember that moment where we had it locked down and like no one was going anywhere and you, you hadn't left your house and how can i forget yeah, yeah seriously I, had I remember clearly <laughs> so my <laughs> wife and i are sitting each other our kids are like going stir 
crazy. I'm talking just it was like bouncing off the walls. That and I looked at it, I was like, we gotta we gotta do something. What are yeah. we gonna do? And these, you know, they were used to going to school and, and and they hadn't been in school and so she left. She saved the day. She saves the day every time. Aww. So anyways. Crystal another another podcast, yes. Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> so she comes back. She had gone to Michael's and gotten um Crap. canvases mm. and paint. All right. Now sick invite. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, we're not an artistic family. I'm just going to start with that. But my kids put Bob Ross on YouTube. Bob yes. Ross is this guy that paints mm. all the, he's like the big, the huge bro. Afro guy <laughs> from like the seventies or whatever. Yeah. And they watched and they were doing, they were doing these paintings, these Bob Ross paintings. And we have probably 25, 35, 45 paintings at our house now that my kids did who had never picked up a paintbrush in their life. Oh. And ha- it took about, it was about three or four days and they were all in, bro. I'm saying it was oh, like they were all God. about That's it. awesome. And they produced these really great paintings. So I think it's just an example of what you guys are talking about. Mm-hmm. Just like finding a way to live in a moment and just be fully present. And hey, if you suck at something, you're horrible at it. Guess what? You can have fun with it and you can enjoy it and you can do it and and, and find some peace in it. So. Right. Are you now going to display all those like in a beautiful wall in your house? So I don't know what we're going to do with them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to we should do something yeah. with them. We I, I did another article for the paper, Jacob, and, and I talked about that. And I I sent the guy at the paper. I was like, hey, ha ha. Here's all the paintings. And he put it in the paper. It's really funny. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, really, it was really cute. And so. if you're local to the Brevard County area, you'll see uh, the Roncis Valley Art Gallery coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> we literally have to pay you to take the – it's like, here, I'll give you five bucks in this painting. Make it a deal. Well, look, this has been awesome, guys. I thank you so much for, for being with us today. If you're listening, uh, we want to help you uh, navigate all this. We're – I'm going to do two things. I'm going to summarize what we've talked about that you can take away from this podcast about just what to do with COVID. Number one, it's just turn your amygdala off, turn your frontal lobe on, and that's through relaxation. We told you how you can access those relaxation uh, techniques. Once your frontal lobe's back on, you can start to think differently. You can start to envision a life differently that's, that's based on an internal locus of control. And if you don't want to be like sugar, you can kind of – build your support team. You can, you can surrender, you know, the things that you can't control and and look for ways to, to live right here, right now in these moments that are before us. And that all happens. That starts in, in the battleground of your mind, right? If you're, if you're listening today and you're having a real hard time, uh, we, we want to help you. We want to give you access to a resource that we've built, uh, called live well coaching. Um, this is an app that goes on your phone where, uh, a coach, like Jacob, uh, will give you feedback minute by minute, moment by moment through that app. Good, healthy, cognitive behavioral tools to help you get healthy and and stay healthy. But then you also have access to your coach uh, through the app and ask for feedback and uh, support and accountability for uh, helping you make, make progress on your goals. So if you have any interest in learning more about Live Well Coaching, we'd love to talk to you and just give you all the information you could ever want about that process. And our hope for you is that uh, you'd use the app and that you'd use our, our coaches to help you get healthy and stay healthy and get, and, and get 
real serious about taking control of your life. That's one thing you can do in the pandemic is you can start live well coaching and you can start, you know, doing things that are healthy for you and that help you go forward. So if you're interested, go to livewell-coaching.com and uh, you can get all the information about that. Livewellcoaching.com. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, Until next time, we hope that you do whatever you can to live the life you've always wanted. Have a great day. Adios. Have a happy Monday.